look at purpose. Purpose of why God saves us and a purpose for the church. And we're going to, as we study through the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at the purpose of who we are. And Brett shared last week that um, it, it, it's, this is the continuation of Luke's gospel. You can read the book of Luke and then put Acts. It's like volume two of Luke's writings here. You can, you can go right into the book of Acts from the gospel of Luke. And in the beginning of this book, book uh, Luke says in verse 1, he says, that I write all of these things of all of that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up. But before he ascended, as, as Brett preached last week, he told these apostles, these, these 11, that they would re- receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And that power would equip them to be witnesses and to about who Jesus is, what He's done in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, it didn't stop with those guys. It began there. And this is what we can learn. This is where it began. And and I love after, I just love, uh, God has a great sense of humor too. We see this all throughout Scripture. Because as you see, imagine these guys are sitting here. As you read through the first, uh, uh, the, the, what Brett preached on last week. Here, here's the apostles. They see Jesus ascend into heaven. After he said these things, he ascended. The apostles stood there gazing. They're gazing into heaven. And then all of a sudden, there's two heavenly beings standing there beside them. Kids, you, you think about this. This is our family Sunday. I want you to picture this. These two heavenly beings, I don't know what they look like, but everywhere in Scripture, when there's a heavenly being, people are terrified. These guys are, they're like, they have power among them. And these two guys are sitting there, come upon these guys and go, hey guys, essentially, this is my redneck language here, tell these guys, hey guys, what, what are you doing here looking in the sky? Didn't he tell you to go? You got work to do, boys. Get out of here. Go. Go and do what he said. And, and this is what happens. I love that God has a sense of humor. He sends these heavenly beings and go, oh, what are you guys looking at? He's coming back. You got work to do. I love that. You got work to do until he comes back. Church, the truth is, is that Jesus is not here with us. Now, be, let, me, let me explain this because Scripture tells us Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. We're going to see that later on, a proof in in Acts, where Stephen gets a standing ovation from Jesus as he proclaims the gospel. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. However, the work that Jesus began has not stopped. And God does not abandon us. He sent the Holy Spirit. Brett preached on this last week. Spends the Holy Spirit to equip His people to be about His work. Instead, Jesus has commissioned and empowered His people to carry out that work that Jesus began. Who are God's people? The church. The church is God's people. Here's the thing. What we do on Sunday is not the church. What we do on Sunday is we worship as the church. Amen? You see what I'm talking about? The the church is God's people. How often do, do, do we get up in the morning, and I'm not saying it's wrong or anything, get up on Sunday morning and say, well, I'm going to church. No, 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 you are the church. You're going to worship with the church. God's called out people. This is the beautiful thing. 
Jesus' work has not stopped because he's still saving people. Praise God. Instead, Jesus has commissioned and empowered his people to carry out that work. And his people are the church. So I ask this question. What is the church? Yeah, it's his people. That's the question I want to ask here. So what is the church? I try to put a definition to this, and this is my definition. And I think if we, if, I think if we as God's people, hold to this definition, it's a good foundation for us. It's pretty simple. This is my definition of the church. The church is a people living for and proclaiming the glory of God because they have experienced and been transformed by the glory of God. I think that's so important I had to put it on the, on the screen this morning. The church is a people living for and proclaiming the glory of God because they have experienced and been transformed by the glory of God. Amen? Amen. It's more than just what we do on a Sunday. It's more than what we have on a shirt. It is who God has called us to be through His miraculous work. This is the purpose or task and identity given to the church. The purpose or task given is to be a witness to who Jesus is. We are to be a witness to the power of God, the sovereignty of God, for the glory of God to a world that doesn't want it. But desperately needs it. Church, what we have, the world does not want. Because they don't know they need it. But God has given us the opportunity to share it with, it, with them. Go tell the gospel and change the world. This is what Jesus has told these guys and what he tells the church. Go share the gospel and change the world. Go share the gospel and change the world. Church, the gospel does change the world. It is the, really only, the, the only thing that has power to truly change the world. And by worldly standards, it's an absurd message. By the world standards, it is an absurd message. It's absurd because it's offensive. It's offensive. This is why it's absurd. You want to talk about repentance? Think of that. Think of that. You want to tell me, I, don't, I can't do that? I live in a free country. I can do what I want. No, you can't. People don't want to hear that they're bad. People want to hear that they're good, right? I want to hear that I'm good. Don't you? When we look at Scripture, that's not true. Romans chapter 3, 10 and 12, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The world doesn't want to hear that, but they need to hear it. Romans 3 tells us it for all of sin and fall short of God's glory. And because of sin, eternal death is deserved. The world doesn't want to hear that either. The world wants to hear that, oh, the, you're going to be okay. God loves you. He would never do that to you. But when we look at God's word, it's a little bit different. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Not a smack on the hand or wagging of the head. 
The wages of sin is death. And it's eternal death. The world doesn't want to hear that. But they need to hear it. Because it's true. It's truth. But, but, but the gospel is good news. And honestly, that doesn't sound like good news, does it? That's because we're not done yet. Amen? We ain't done yet. You look at the second half of Romans 3.23. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Our Lord is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. If you earned it, it wouldn't be a gift. It's good news. God has mercy. Romans 5 eight, God shows us, shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen, brother. Let that sink in. Ephesians tells us why you were an enemy of your creator. They gave you everything. He died for you. Let that sink in. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that good? Amen, it is. How do we get this? The Bible tells us we have to believe and confess. Romans 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, now this isn't just talking out of my mouth and some, something that I just maybe click in my mind. This is something that I embrace and I believe that this is truth. That Jesus is my King. And salvation is for me because of what Christ has done. Caused by my sin, Christ has come. And saved me. He has taken the punishment for me. He has taken it all. And I don't get eternal wrath of God. I get eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Church, that's huge. And we make so little of that. The world doesn't want to hear it. It's an absurd message. Because people will not in and of themselves want to hear it. Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 1, he calls it, it's foolishness. He goes, it's a stumbling block for unbelievers. The gospel is folly and a stumbling block for unbelievers. But here's the cool thing. Here's the amazing thing. Here's the beautiful thing that we will see through the book of Acts over and over and over again. God is greater and the power of God through God's people is greater. God told Peter that the gates of hell will not overcome it. Church, we need to stand on that truth. We shouldn't let things like our government or COVID or anything else stand in the way of that truth. God's still building His church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. God's greater than anything this world has to offer. And the church is what God has chosen to carry out the unfinished work of Christ, which is proclaiming the finished work of Christ on the cross. Let me say that again. The church, us, believers in Christ Jesus, been sanctified and saved and, 
and, and, and sanctified and being sanctified. We are what God has chosen to carry out the unfinished work of Christ, which is proclaiming the finished work of Christ on the cross. And here's why I say that. God is not done saving and redeeming people. That work is unfinished, but everything needed to accomplish that, Christ accomplished on the cross and out of the grave. Amen? He has done that. I'm reading a book with, with some of our, our guys that are, are leaders in our church, and, and it's called Church Planter. It's by an author named Darren Patrick, and in this past week we kind of discussed this. It was, it was something he said in there. He said, the church is God's plan A to redeem the world, and God has no plan B. Christian, you need to saddle up. We need to saddle up. We are God's plan A to radically transform the world. He uses us to radically transform the world for the goodness of who He is. The question is, how do we do that? We're about to get to Acts 1, I promise. I missed you guys. How do we do that? How are we, how are we to truly carry out that mission? It's a good question. We can learn a lot from these words of Luke in the book of Acts in these few verses i got three things I'm going to pull out of here this morning. We're going to read our text here this morning. Three verses. I'm going to pull just three things out of there. And, and man, we're just, I, I pray that we would just soak in this, that God would work. So you guys got your Bibles open? All right. If you don't, slide over next to somebody, pull your phone out, all that good stuff. I encourage you, if you need a Bible, there's some on the table out there. Take them. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount, of Olive, Mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Not very far. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are amazing. You're holy. You are the righteous one. You are our Savior, God. Jesus, you are our Savior. And you call us to, to greater things than we could ever imagine when you save us, Lord. And my prayer is that we would embrace that, that we would Trust in your truth and your word and trust in your power through us, Lord. So, Father, my, my prayer is that you would, you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit indwells us, but God, would you fill us with it often that we would, it would overflow, Lord. That we would just leak Jesus everywhere we go. That we would make Jesus non-ignorable. We would do it joyfully, reminded of what you have done for us. So, Father, my prayer is that your church will be empowered to do your work and your will for your glory. So, Father, would you help us to see and to do that? And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. To be a witness, to be a witness, this is what Jesus charged the apostles, to be a witness of the glory of God and change the world. And that's a tall task. Eleven guys. Eleven guys. Go change the world.
tall task. And it wasn't just for those 11 guys that begun there. And it's reached us. I want you to think about something for just a moment. The gospel that you know was first with these guys. As we read our Bibles, the gospel reached these guys, and then other people, and then other people, and then other people, and then other people, and other people, and other people, after generation, after generation, after generation, until someone came to you and sat you down and said, Do you know Jesus? And they shared the truth of the gospel with you. They told you what the weight of sin. They told you what Christ has done for you. Imagine God's amazing plan that he does that. That's incredible. It's incredible that God would do that. We're to be a witness. And it shouldn't stop there. What if it stopped with these guys? We wouldn't be here this morning. It's a beautiful thing. We're to change the world. God has given us everything that we need to change the world by His power and for His glory. And if we're to be about it, we need the supernatural power of God to be about the supernatural work of God. It is supernatural. If you are a Christian here today, God has performed a miracle in you. It's a miracle. It's a supernatural work. And God is, he calls us to continue that work, but we need the supernatural power of God to be about the supernatural work of God. And through our study of the book of Acts, we're going to see that God equips his people to do that. We'll look at just a few things. In verse 12, it says, Following Jesus' command, they returned to Jerusalem and went up to the upper room. For about ten days they waited. Here's all of these folks, they, 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 they've just seen Jesus crucified, uh, lived with him, saw him crucified, uh, in the grave three days, resurrected, spent uh, several days with him, and now he's just ascended to heaven. Jesus says, hey, uh, I know this is really big stuff, overwhelming stuff, what I need you to do right now is I need you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. They went up to the upper room for about 10 days. They waited. They were obedient to Jesus. Let me ask you something. How hard would that be? Imagine what you just experienced, what these guys experienced. How hard would that be? Not to run out and go, you, you will not believe this. This is amazing. i got to tell you what I just saw, what I experienced about Jesus. Imagine how hard it must have been for them. They had seen and heard all of these things. And I'm sure they wanted to go out. But Jesus said, wait. You're not ready. I'm going to equip you. You're not ready. Hang on. Just wait. Hmm. How often are we impatient and don't like to wait on the Lord? I sat here and I thought about these guys. Like, man, how? I know they were probably excited and pumped up, but... How often do we get the same way? I got this great idea for God, and I'm going to go out and do it. So often we take matters in our own hands, and we leave God and His power out of the equation. I think that's something that does plague the American church today. We do more on what we can do and leave God out. 
So often we take matters in our own hands and we leave, leave God's power out. We get impatient. Anybody else impatient? Yeah. Here's, here's what we do. Oftentimes we have answers for God rather than answers from God. Anybody ever been there? Just me? Or, or, or we have instructions for God rather than instructions from God. Anybody ever been there? Hey, God, I, I got something I need you to do. <laughs> Rather than going, God, what do, you, what, what do you want me to do? See, oftentimes we, we invite God into our plans rather than asking God to invite us into His. That's a dangerous thing to do, church. The apostles also, I noticed this too, how obedient they were. They did not simply hang out and twiddle their thumbs either. They weren't just up there in that upper room just hanging out, eating popcorn or whatever you eat. I don't know what they were eating. Unleavened bread or something. I don't know, figs. I know they weren't just hanging out twiddling their thumbs. They had this eager expectation that God was going to do something, and they were eagerly awaiting I mean, I'm, I'm probably, they, they probably didn't even sleep very much. They're, they're sitting on the edge of their chairs. Kids, it's almost like Christmas morning, right? You're just waiting, waiting for that time, waiting for that expectation. God's going to do something. He told us to wait. Maybe they talked about it. I wonder what he's going to do. I wonder what God, what amazing thing God is going to do. They're probably, probably going, hey, hey, can you wait? What do you think it's going to be? Maybe they talked about these things of, of going, what do you think it is? It was, it was this eager expectation. Eager expectation that God's going to do some, like, they had just seen God do some amazing things. They're like, how can he top what he's already done? Here's the problem, though. I think this is something that plagues the church today. We have extremely low expectations of what God can do. We forget the promises of God and that are to His people for His glory. And so often we sit idle with low to no expectations of God and His glory. It's reflected in our prayer life. How often are we on our knees just begging God to radically transform something. Now, we have to be careful here as well because I think we can set some unnatural expectations of, on God. See, our expectations need to align with God's authority and His promises that He gives us in His Word. Here's what we need to avoid. We can easily say, well, God, I expect you to do whatever. Church, we have to be really, really careful of commanding God to do anything. You don't have that authority. We have to be really careful of that. But what we can do is hold God to His promises in His Word. God, you said this, and I believe it, and I'm expecting you to do this for your glory. Your glory. We have to consider, is this God's will for His glory? How often do we as a church go, God, can you just radically transform severance? God, can you radically transform the heart of my child or my relative 
for my neighbor? God, their heart is so hard against you. Can you just change that? And, and, and eagerly expect that. I call this obedient expectation. Obedient expectation. This is what the apostles were doing. They were, they were excited and they were trusting in God on His timing and His work and His power for His glory, but their good and the good of others. Look at Psalm 46. I love Psalm 46. If you're ever going through anything, and, and normally if I know about it, I'm going to text you Psalm 46. Or I'm going to share Psalm 46 with you. But I love the last two verses. Psalm 46, 10 and 11 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's God. He's He's, he is God. Sometimes we need to be still and we need to realize that He is God. And we are subject to His authority and His glory. See, obedient expectation is faithfully and confidently trusting in God to work for His glory and our good. That is obedient expectation. Here's the second thing I want to pull out of here too. Unity through our community. I love this, and, and I think our church does this well, but I'll challenge this. I think we can do it better. I think we can do it better. Luke says that they were all together with one accord in the upper room. They were all together. It means they had things in common. They were united together. That's what it means. They were in one accord. They were together. They had, all, they had the same God-given desire. They wanted to be His witness for Jesus, because remember, they had they'd experienced and been transformed by this same Christ. And they knew the value of the relationship that they had with Christ. And they knew that other people needed it. Because without it, they were condemned to hell. Without a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something. No one is ever saved by someone else's faith. Your grandma probably prayed for you. Praise God for her. She did. My grandma prayed for me. My parents prayed for me. And there are others, I'm sure, that have prayed for you, but you are not saved by their faith. When we stand before God, He will not look at your parents' faith or your grandmother's faith or your best friend's faith or someone else's faith. We're going to be welcomed into eternal glory on our own faith or you will be condemned to eternal wrath or on the lack of your faith. That is the truth that we see here. But here's the beautiful thing about that. When Christ established His church, though He saved individuals, He saves individuals one at a time, everyone that He has ever brought to Himself through salvation, He places in the body of Christ. Here's what I mean by that. You're saved as an individual, but you're not a solo Christian. You were made to be in community together. We see these early believers, they, they knew the value of community. Look at where they were at. 50, 50 days prior, they killed Jesus. They knew where they were at. They were in the middle of hostile territory, proclaiming a message... It will send many to their grave. 
They needed each other. They were different from others around them because they had been transformed by Jesus and they needed each other to be about this mission. Not only for the benefit of the lost, but also for their own growth. As I prepared for this, I read a story that R.C. Sproul told. He told a a story about a, a pastor that had gone to see a parishioner that had joined the church and had just, had just gone off the radar. And this pastor loved this parishioner, so he went to visit him, and, and he called him up, and he went over there, and, and he sat down, and they were having a barbecue outside. and I, uh, They were hanging out. They had a, a charcoal grill going, and they were just kind of talking. And this, this R.C. says this pastor was, was talking to this, this parishioner and says, Hey, we haven't seen you in church. We haven't haven't seen you around or anything. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, um, I, I just don't really feel the need for that to come to church. I love Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I believe the gospel. I read my Bible. But I just don't feel like I need, I need to be in church. R.C. says that this, this pastor goes up to the grill and he grabs some tongs and he takes a coal out of there. Out of this pile of burning coals, he takes it and he sets it on the ground over here. Doesn't say anything, and they continue to talk. And a few minutes later, he, he directs his parishioner attention to that coal that's on the ground. And he says, hey, do you notice anything different about this piece of charcoal than those over there? He goes, yeah, it's, it's not hot anymore. And R.C. shares a story about this pastor. He says, yeah. The reason why it went out is it was separated from the other coals that were burning too. See, when we get separated from others, our our heat and our fire tends to diminish a little bit. They kind of go out. Same thing for Christians. See, when you, you begin to wander away from the body of Christ... Your sanctification and your hope and your fire that God has given you begins to diminish. It happens. Don't tell me it doesn't. It does. We need each other. We need each other. This is why we focus so much on our life groups and men's ministry, women's ministry, all of these things. We, We do everything that we can to keep the fire hot in our people. This is why church participation and church membership is essential. It's essential. It's a commitment that we make to one another. It's a commitment that you as a church made to three families this morning. You did that. That we are to hold each other up. Keep the fire going with one another. This is what we are to do. It's essential. That's why we, church membership, we commit to one another. That's why we, we have a covenant. It's important. That we commit to one another in a world that is lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. You think of how committed Jesus is to you. He doesn't give you a 30-day trial. He's committed to us. Church participation and membership, it brings unity. And unity around a purpose that brings about effectiveness. We must pursue unity to be effective. This is why the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, 
as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love what the NIV says here. It says, and let us not consider how to stir one another up, but to spur one another along. Anybody ever been spurred before? It kind of hurts, but sometimes we need that, right? It is unbiblical to try and be a solo Christian. You can't. You're not made to be that way. Here's something else that I realized too, and we'll get to the third one. I'll land this plane here real quick. I was asked a while back the question, what's more important for the church, community or missions? What's more important, community or missions? Community. I'll say it all day long. Community is more important in a church than missions. Because if you don't have community, you don't have missions. You don't have it. Church is to be a unified community of believers on mission. We're not to do it alone. Here's the third thing that I've pulled out of these three verses. And we'll continue this next week too, but here's the third thing is devotion to prayer. This is what is so cool, so amazing, so beautiful. They were eagerly waiting together and praying together. And here's the thing is I read this, it's so easy to skip over this. I wonder what their prayers were like. You ever wonder what they were praying? Devoted to prayer. I wonder what they were praying. Just, I wonder how, really how hard and earnestly they were praying. I wonder what it sounded like. I wonder how long they were praying. The things that they were praying for. You ever wonder about that? I mean, experience, just imagine all that they had experienced. They're in hostile territory. What were they praying? Here's, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that the prayer life of these disciples was a bit different than the prayer life of the modern day church. Think of what dominates our prayer life. Not, not as all, but what dominates it? Is it seeking the temporary such as pain relief, stress relief, financial relief? Me, 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 dominated. These disciples have been told by Jesus that they are to carry out the greatest news ever around the world to a world that did not want to hear it. Do you think that these founders of the New Testament church were praying selfish prayers? firmly believe that these founders of the church were praying a different way. They were praying something like how Jesus told them to pray in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, 9-13, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just give us this day our daily bread. That's all we need. Just give us enough to get us through the day. And God, forgive us of our debts if we've wronged you. As we also have forgiven others, God, help us to forgive others. Let unforgiveness not get in the way of what you've called us to do. And God, please don't let us fall into temptation because we know that temptation gets us off of track of what you have called us to do. 
but deliver us from evil? Do you know what deliver us from evil it means? It doesn't mean never face it. It means let us stand in the face of evil and be victorious over it by your power. This is what they were praying. I'm sure this is what they were praying. I mean, they were praying something similar to the verses 9 and 10. Most, most of all, our Father, you are holy. May your name be proclaimed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we, we plead with you that you make yourself known and you equip us to do that. It's the pleading of God to come and empower believers to be effective workers for the kingdom of God. And church, this is big prayer. This is huge prayer. And how often are we praying that? How often are we praying that as a church? How often are we praying that around our dinner tables? God, would you make your kingdom come and your will be done in our family, to our neighbors, God, would you, would you equip us to stand in the face of evil and be victorious through the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you help us to do that? Would you make yourself known in me and in my family and in our church? It's a huge prayer. It's praying that we can boldly share the gospel with confidence and trusting that God will call people to salvation. Here's the thing. Confidently that He will call people to salvation. This is having a prayer life dominated by the eternal. This is having a prayer life dominated by ex- eternal things rather than the temporary. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for those that are sick and hurting. Yes! Absolutely, the Bible tells us to do that. But I think our prayer should be dominated for greater things, eternal things. I believe this is what these apostles were doing here. When was the last time we were joined together, devoted in that type of prayer? Because here's the truth. Church, we are helpless and useless without the supernatural power of God working in and through us. We are to be about the seeking of of this power, of God's power, through devoted prayer. Simply put, we don't pray enough. Brett and I sit and talk about this all the time. And a lot of that burden falls on us. As your elders, we don't pray enough. But here's what I've seen. When our prayer life is dominated by the glory of God to be made known, and that His will be done, God is faithful to answer. He's faithful to answer. I've seen it. I had a good friend of mine who's a pastor in Fort Collins. Give me an idea this week. And I noticed he was wearing a a, a bracelet. The colors of their church is orange. He had an orange bracelet on. And he was telling me about this. He goes, I've made hundreds of these. And I've given them out to people. And it's a reminder to pray. It reminds them to hold the line. Hold the line. The greatest power that the church has in its ability is the power of prayer. And that we hold the line for one another. So last night, my daughter and I, we sat down for a couple hours and we made several of these. And it being family Sunday, and we got a bunch of kiddos in here that should be back there. I want to include them in here. So we made them a bracelet. 
And I want to give every one of these kiddos a bracelet to remind them to pray. The cool thing about prayer is that it's God's open invitation to commune with the Creator of all things. You can talk with Him, have a conversation with Him, ask Him anything, tell Him anything, hear from Him as well. It's a beautiful thing that we can do that. And I want to encourage our kids to be able to do that. So if you're one of the kids that normally is back there on a Sunday, you guys come on up here. Come on, it's okay. I'm the pastor, I can do this. I can do this. Hey, can you help me? Can you guys help me pass these out? Some are a little bit bigger. Some are a little bit bigger, some a little bit smaller. So if the smaller kids, if you guys can, can help give these out, you guys can, can you guys help with that? Can you, you guys make sure everybody gets one of those? I hope I have enough here. Can you guys help pass those out? You guys stay right here. Stay right here until everybody gets one. And you just, what they do is you put them on your wrist and they'll slide, slide apart. There you go. Just like that. And you can, you can tighten it up just like that. Your parents can help you tighten that up. And here's what I want you guys to do is every time that you look down at that bracelet, can you just say a little prayer? Can, can you guys, will that remind you guys to pray? Did everybody get one? We got an extra one here. Here we go. You're welcome. Can you get your hand on there? There you go. There you go. All right, if you guys have gotten one, you guys can grab a seat. Did you get one? Did everybody get one? It doesn't fit. That's a little big. Let me get a smaller one here. Will that one fit? Your hand on there? Now, you just pull those knots apart just like that. You can get mom and dad to help you out. Did everybody get one? All right, do we have extras? You guys have extras? You guys can put them in the bag here. Did you get one? All right, did you guys get one? You can dump them in there. All right, I have a few extra left. Somebody can grab these. There's one on the floor here, too. Because here's the thing. What do you have that reminds you to pray? What is this something that's a constant reminder for you to hold the line for your brothers and sisters? Let me tell you something. I need your prayers. I desperately need your prayers. Brett needs your prayers. Mark and Shelby need your prayers. Tina and our kids workers certainly need your prayers, right? We need your prayers. We need you to hold the line for us. What are those things that remind you that, that, that to hold the line for us, that God's glory will be proclaimed, that we would boldly share the gospel, not shy away from it, that we would stand in the face of evil and God would give us victory over that. I'm not asking. I am pleading with you as a church to pray. Pray those big prayers. Faithful praying to the God of all creation to make His glory known. We need each other praying for each other. I want you to know that I pray for you every day. There are some that I've wept over. I've wept with parents. I've wept with kids. That God's glory would be made known in their hearts and in their minds. And I need you to hold the line. Stand faithful in prayer that God's glory will be made known. Let me land this plane. We've, we've begin a, given a task here. We've given a great task as a church. And that's to 
I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter. He says, we're to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into glorious light. That's 1 Peter 2.9. But here's the thing. We cannot do it on our own. We need God's help. We need God's help. We need each other's help. And we do this through obedient expectation. Expecting God to work. Waiting for God to work. Waiting for God's commands. But when He gives us that that. That key to go, we need to go and do those things and knowing and confident that He is going to work. And we do this together through the unity of the body of believers. And we begin on our knees in prayer, holding the line for one another that God would continue to perform miracles. So my question is, how are we doing at this? My hope is, when you sit down to lunch today, that you have a conversation of going, how are we making much of the gospel? How are we making much of Jesus as a family? What can we do more? How can we pray more? How can we invest more? How can we encourage one another more? For the glory of God and our good. Church, that's what we're called to do. Let me tell you this. I've said a lot about what the church should do this morning. But I, I would be naive to think if there were people that were not here that they didn't know Jesus. Didn't know the saving grace of Jesus. And I want you to know that there is a God that does love you and care for you. But if you don't have faith in that Jesus, you are separated from the glory of God right now. And you will experience His wrath if something doesn't change. You will experience His wrath for all eternity. And that terrifies me. But I want you to know there's hope for you. There's great hope for you. There's hope that you can trust in the King of kings, the Creator of all things, that He has taken that wrath for you. And that you put your hope in Jesus, that you turn from your hope in other things, and you put your hope and trust in Jesus. That you turn from your sin and you hope in Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It does mean that you're saved. And you believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and live it. Live it in joy. In victory. If that's you and you got more questions, I would love to have that conversation with you. What does it mean to put your faith and hope in Jesus and live out for God's glory and your good? That's what it means to be the church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you and I praise you. I thank you for the goodness of your word. I thank you for our kids. I thank you, Lord, for our kids, that you've given us the gift of our children. You've given us this great responsibility. And what a picture that is that we are to be of the church, that we are to share the truth of the gospel with our kids, but it shouldn't stop there. The home, the family is such a picture, a small picture of what the church should be. Loving one another, knowing that we're not perfect, knowing that we get on each other's nerves knowing that we have dirty laundry. But we love each other. We care for each other. We don't abandon each other. 
We equip each other to be who you've called us to be. So, Father, I pray for us as a church. Would you, would you empower us to do that? May we not get ahead of you and not leave you out, but eagerly expect you to work. And, Father, would you work through and in us to proclaim the glory that you invite us into and to see that you would change hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. It's the work that only you can do. But you use us as an instrument to carry that message out. And Father, I pray that you would drive us to our knees first and foremost. That we would talk to you about people before we would talk to people about you. God, help us to do that. Help us to not just come to church. God, help us to be who you've called us to be. And Father, my prayer is, is heavy for those that are lost out there right now that, that are still under condemnation. God, would you, you call them now? I pray that you call them now. That you save them now. That you change their hearts now. That they believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth that you are their Lord. pray that, expecting you to do that. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray.